Reformed Church. In addition to everything that we were just saying, as far as kind of where the church's mentality is, you know, the church um, clearly, like we all do, understands that Jesus, when he was on the cross, said it is finished, right? But we, as the church, don't understand the, the, the actual impact of that. Um, when Jesus said it is finished, he um, was referring to everything, every problem. And that's something that the church doesn't teach, and, and generally speaking, I mean, I'm making generalizations, but doesn't generally understand that it applies to everything. People will, will acknowledge that, you know, Jesus finished sin um, at the cross. But what they don't realize is when you say Jesus finished sin, you're saying Jesus finished everything, like every single problem. Um, this is a principle that I, I use frequently, but, um, you know, let me, let me see if I can even bring you to the scripture here. In the book of James, uh, chapter 1, James 1, 13. James 1, 13. It says, um, let no man say when he's tempted that I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. So when you're going through something in your life that's evil, he's saying that that's, that's not of God. But verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin, uh, sin when it is finished, brings forth death. And so um, Romans 5.12 also kind of says the same thing that talks about sin and death having come into the world. And what people don't understand is that, and we'll come back to this verse in just, just a second, that when Adam sinned and that brought death into the world, you guys that have been at church for a while know that every problem can be categorized as either sin or death, every single problem. Um, there's not something that someone has ever gone through that can't be categorized under one of those two things because, you know, God created everything perfect, right? That was his intention. Um, we know about the Garden of Eden and stuff, and there was, no, there was no hurt, there was no pain, there was no immorality, there was no nothing, right? No disorder, no disability. Before that, and Adam sinned, and then through sin brought death into the world. And that's what Romans 5.12 says, that uh, uh, through one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, right? So there's no other problems that came into the world that the Bible discusses but besides sin and death. Particularly the word here that he used here, and that sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Um, and so basically what it's saying is the, the, sort of the culmination of sin, when sin is done having its work in somebody, is results in death. And actually, the word finished here is, I believe, a related word to the word when Jesus said, it is finished at the cross. And the reason why I bring you to this verse is because when Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying that I've let sin run its full course in me. What does sin bring forth when it's finished? It brings forth death. And when Jesus said, it is finished, he died right after that. And what he was trying to show us is that I let everything that Adam started, I let it run its full course in me unto death and then finalized that and finished it. And when Jesus said, it is finished, he also simultaneously, you see that in, in, the, uh, in the temple at the time, uh, for those listening to our temple series, this isn't Solomon's temple that was around at Jesus' time. This is, I believe it was called Herod's temple. It was just another temple being built. Nevertheless, it had that, that veil, that same veil in it. And that veil was torn, making a way that, as you could see, um, even in the temple, um, currently we're using the temple as a symbol of the church, but the temple can also uh, have different symbolism here. And that holiest of all, the holy of holies, right, actually, uh, if you look at it in a different context than what we're teaching in the temple series, represents heaven. And so Jesus, watch this, Jesus said, it is finished. And as you can see, when he says it's finished, um, having borne our sin, it, when you read in James, it says when sin it is finished, it brings forth death. And again, as I said before, that means when sin has run its full course in somebody, when Adam's sin has run its full course, it brings forth death. That's sort of the finality of it. And Jesus said it is finished right as he died, meaning he's let the full, everything that Adam started, all the problems that Adam started, he has let that run its full course in his own body on our behalf, Plus, he made a way into something new. Um, the Bible also says this. Let me bring you there. 
Um, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9. Watch this. Just to give you a little clarity on this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. So, when Jesus says, it's finished, he's referring to what Adam started. Sin and death. And as I said, every problem in the world can be categorized under one of those two things, right? Um, things like wrong thoughts and wrong actions is categorized in the sin category. There's verses I could bring you through to prove this stuff. We have the material online, but um, the, the, under the death category, because um, death is actually a process, right? And it, 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 it includes things like aging, the Bible calls aging, uh, categorizes that under death, and suffering categorizes that under death. So all of that is categorized under sin and death. And when Jesus said, it is finished, he was referring to all that stuff. Sin running its full course and causing in him all the hurt, all the pain, and that final sort of him breathing his last that sin causes, he let it all run its course in his own body. But then, simultaneously, when he breathed his last, the veil was torn, right? And, and behind the veil was a place called the holiest of all, right? When that veil was torn, you could now see into the holiest of all. And in verse 24, it says, Christ has not entered into holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So what this is actually talking about, we're just sort of defining some words here. When he says that Christ has not entered into holy places made with hands, he's referring to that holiest of all behind the veil when he says holy places here. Because that's where the high priest used to enter, behind the veils. But he said that Christ has not entered into holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true. And what that means is that room behind the veil, that veil that was torn when Jesus died, supernaturally, God tore the veil when Jesus breathed his last. And the reason why God did that is because that room beyond the veil represents heaven. And that's what it says here. It says that room that was made with hands, is that's not the room that Jesus entered for us. It says, which was just a figure of the true, but into heaven itself. So look at what Jesus did for us. He let everything, all the problems in the world, sin and death, right? But all the problems in the world, he let run its full course in him and then said, it is finished, in reference to everything that Adam started. Remember, Adam only started two things, sin and death, right? But when you stub your toe and it hurts, that's categorized under death. I know that we don't see it that way, but that's, that's what it is. We have, again, a lot of material online, so I won't bring you all the verses there right now, but we have a lot of material online and I use that principle repetitively in, in my teaching as well. But again, just to give you a quick rundown, right? Romans 4 talks about Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was just barren. She couldn't have kids. The Bible calls that death. Abraham was, had an aged body. It calls it the deadness of his body. Yeah, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians. I think it's chapter 4, where Paul talks about his sufferings. He was suffering persecution. He was being whipped. He was in pain. And he calls that death works in us, okay? Death all that is categorized under death that came through Adam. These things were not in the Garden of Eden before Adam sinned, and they are in the world after Adam sinned. It's all categorized under death, right? Death is just a process until someone breathes their last, but hurt and pain and degradation and aging and all that stuff, all of that in weakness, lack of strength, growing weary, growing tired, all of that is categorized under death. The Bible categorizes this under death, okay? So, Jesus let all that in his own body and then said, it is finished. That means that what he was finishing at the cross was basically every problem in the world. This is why also, sometimes rather than saying that Jesus bore our sins and died for our sins, sometimes he'll cut straight to the chase and just say, I overcame the world. I believe that's in John chapter 16. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Why would he say overcome the world if he only took sin and death? Because that's the only problems in the world. You understand? Furthermore, when you come to believe in Jesus and receive his, his finished work, you know what that's called? The victory that overcomes the world. Why would it say you've always overcome the world if Jesus didn't really finish all the problems in the world? You see, as the church, we don't realize that Jesus that really finished everything that Adam started. Every single problem. Again, suffice it to say right now, it is, as I said before, categorized under either sin or death, but Jesus overcame the world. When he said it is finished, he's talking about everything that Adam started. But he also, he didn't just finish all the problems. He also provided an access into uh, a really a, a new world, um, we'll, we'll say, into heaven itself. When that veil was torn, why do we think God tore that veil? Do we think that there was something significant in the veil itself? Do we think there was something significant 
in the room behind it itself, or was God being symbolic? Well, we, we read right here in Hebrews 9.24 that it is symbolic. It was a symbolic gesture of God to tear that veil when Jesus died, and it's written and recorded in Scripture that that, that that happened. But the reason why God did that is because he's showing you, I have ended the problems in the world. Now, that, that may not register with you just yet. We'll explain that in a second. But I have ended the problems in this world, and I have created, I've given you the whole world access now into the things of heaven. We are still, as the church today, 2,000 years after that event happened, okay? Because if you didn't, if I wasn't clear enough, Jesus tearing the veil into the whole, showing a way into that room, that holiest of all, is symbolic of us having access into all the glory and the power and all the, 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 the nature of the things of heaven, okay? But despite all of that, the church is still at a place right now where we actually are still waiting for heaven for certain things. Now, any Christian, we even, there are even our songs where Christians talk about, you know, Jesus, like, you're my heaven on earth, right? But they, most people mean that almost metaphorically. They don't really believe that, like, that there's nothing extra to be gained when one day I die and go to heaven. Most Christians, even many people listening right now, especially online, probably believe what I just said, that, well, it can be good here, but it's going to be even better in heaven. That's not true. That's not true. I'm going to, I'll, I'll, we'll take the time right now to show you some of those things, but that, that is not true. It is not going to be better for a believer in heaven. And I know people say to die is gain and all that, and maybe I'll touch on that, maybe I won't. We are coming out with an article based on that verse in a, in a few weeks from now, but my point with this is that God brought heaven to us, and Jesus gave us access to the holiest, to what does the holiest represent? Let's refer back to Scripture and not my opinion, right? What does the holiest represent? That room into which the high priest used to go in through the veil? It, it represents heaven itself. What, what do we think that means, just on my first impressions, right? Jesus says, it is finished, okay? I already explained to you how that refers to all the problems that Adam brought into the world, right? Sin and death. Again, it, it, like I said, anything from a stub toe to uh, uh, I'm tired and I'm, I'm running and I'm walking and I'm growing weary and I'm growing faint, all that's categorized under, under sin and death. But what do we think it means on first impression to, to, for Jesus to say, it is finished, and then tear the veil, giving away access into this room which represents heaven? It looks to me, right, on first impression, that he's saying, I've finished the things of the present world and opened a way and given you access into better things beyond this world. Now, when was the veil torn? Is it torn in his second coming? Is Jesus going to come back in his second coming and quote-unquote tear the veil, giving us access into heaven when he comes back? When you die, right? Okay, and I'm, I'm talking to the, in the Christian's, you know, uh, verbiage here, okay? right? Obviously, we believe at this church Death is not of God and never the will of God. But when you die, is that when Jesus tears the veil? Now, finally, we have access to heaven. You finally get access to all the goodness and the grace and glory and uh, the nature of the things of heaven, of no more hurt and no more pain. Because we think that's something unique to, oh, I died and went to heaven. But the funny thing is, the veil isn't torn when somebody dies. The veil isn't torn when Jesus comes back. The veil was torn 2,000 years ago when Jesus died. So if we're still thinking we need access to the things of heaven or we're going to get it in the future, we're late to the party then because the veil was torn when Jesus died. And as long as you understand the symbolism correctly and understand that verse, that the holiest of all, that holy place, that room represents heaven, and Jesus tore that veil when he breathed his last, that means you've been given access to heaven for quite a long time. And if you're still dreaming and you can only imagine about what heaven is going to be like, you're imagining something that you've already had access to 2,000 years ago. You've had access, the church has had access to all the things of heaven. Because this is also not true, right? Jesus didn't tear half the veil, right? In other words, my point is, he didn't make some access into some of the things of heaven now, and the way that even our theologians would translate certain things in the Bible, which is just incorrect in some, certain paraphrased translations, this is why we recommend reading a word-for-word -word translation, because in certain paraphrased translations, which are basically uh, the translator's in interpretation of what the verse means, it will say that we right now only have a foretaste of future glory. That is where the church is today. 
they believe that they have a foretaste, like, like God has just sort of, um, uh, you know, wet our whistle with the things of heaven right now, and later we're going to get the full inheritance later on, and that is also not true. Jesus has given us everything of heaven today. The Bible says the kingdom of God is within us. The kingdom of God is within us. Let, let me bring you there. This is Luke 17. Actually, no, let, let's look at verse 20. And it says, um, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation. You know what that means? That means when the kingdom of God comes to the earth, you won't see it at first. If you were to read two chapters later in Luke, Luke 19, it does say the kingdom of God does manifest, and it does appear, but just not immediately, it says. That, that's, that's verbatim. The word immediately in Luke 19, it says the kingdom of God just doesn't appear immediately. So that this, what this means is that heaven could have already come and you not have recognized it. And I submit to you that the church hasn't recognized that the kingdom of God has already come. Because he says, and this is why we've mistaken heaven as something that we will somehow enjoy the glories of when we die one day, not that we can enjoy the glories of it because Jesus died on that one day. Okay? Your death doesn't give you access to heaven. Jesus does. That's why I said when you die, the veil doesn't get torn and you finally get access into no more hurt, no more pain, no more growing weary or growing tired. The kingdom of God, and we're going to read it right now, the kingdom of God has already come. All right? Um, you say, well, what do you mean the kingdom of God has already come? That means heaven, right? Heaven has already come. Um, what do you mean that heaven has already come? I, you know, look around you. Look at all the suffering in the world. But again, that's why this verse is so important. It doesn't come with observation. That means when it does come, you're not going to see it at first. Verse 21, why? Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, as if you could point it out and say, oh, there it is right there. It says, for the kingdom of God is within you. You see, this is where people mistake that Jesus didn't really finish all the problems of the world. This, this is the reason why people have such a hard time believing that Jesus really finished all the problems of the world and really gave us access to all of heaven is because they don't see it. The number one reason that people are going to point out to you that these things really weren't provided is because, look, where is it? And literally, Jesus warned us about this. In fact, Jesus, if you were to read through the Gospels, Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of God was near. Why would Jesus come saying the preach, the preaching the kingdom of God was near? Because he was about to go to the cross, and what does that veil torn give you access to? The kingdom of God. We just read from Hebrews 9.24 that that room beyond the veil represents heaven, the kingdom of God. And when was that access given? When was that veil torn, making a way into the holiest, as uh, Hebrews uh, 10 says, um, which represents heaven? It was when he died, not when you die or not when Jesus comes back one day, but when Jesus died, that's what gives us access into these things. Um, but the reason why Christians generally don't believe that all of heaven can be received right now while you walk this earth is because they don't realize, obviously, what they, obviously ultimately they don't realize that what Jesus provided, but it's because they don't see it. They don't see it. They see things going on in their own life, and they've seen things going on in generations past, they see things going on in other people's life, and they figure, well, if everyone's going through this stuff, um, and I'm going through this stuff, it must be that maybe this is the will of God, maybe this is what God has for me, or um, a host of other reasons, but they, people generally don't believe that all of heaven, in all of um, sort of the, the, the nature and qualities of heaven, that those things can be received right now, or that they've already come. Um, when the Bible says your kingdom come, when Jesus advised his um, disciples to pray, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I could do a whole, a whole teaching on that right now, but uh, that's, just so you know, that's an Old Testament prayer, right? When Jesus taught his disciples to pray that way, that is an Old Testament prayer. Um, that was in the Old Testament that he said that, because the New Testament didn't start until Jesus died on the cross, all right? Um, the kingdom has already come. That's why when Jesus... Cain, he was preaching the kingdom of God's near, the kingdom of God's near. He was announcing the fact that he was about to bring in all the things of heaven and give access to that through his broken flesh. Because if you didn't know, the veil represents actually Jesus' body. Hebrews 10 says that, um, that we have access through the veil, that is his flesh. So the veil, when the veil was torn, it represents how Jesus' body was torn on the cross. And when Jesus' body is torn on the cross, that's when you get access to the holiest. In other words, that's when you get access to heaven. Um, 
And so that's why he came announcing that the kingdom of God um, was near. But, um, but as I said, despite the fact that heaven has already come, well, that's what I was talking about, the, the Lord's prayer there. When he was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, because that was said in the Old Testament, the kingdom of God was not provided yet, right? That veil wasn't torn. Jesus' body was not broken yet because it's when his body is broken that people get access to the kingdom. People get access to heaven. That's when the price was paid. It should just make sense, right? The price has to be paid before you get the product. And Jesus' price, the price that he went to pay, hadn't been paid yet. So he told his disciples to pray, your kingdom come. Now, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That last part has yet to be seen yet. Because despite the fact that the kingdom has come, God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven just yet. And why is that? Despite the fact that the kingdom has already come and actually is inside of us right now because Jesus paid for us to have this, um, God's will is not automatically done in the earth because why? The kingdom of God is within us and you have to release that kingdom into the earth. The Bible says, right, in John, John 7, I use the verse all the time, that when we believe out of our bellies, uh, 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 out of our bellies flow forth rivers of living water. Talking about the spirit, the kingdom on the inside of us. As you believe these things, these things flow out into the earth and into all of creation around you. So, um, and that's why it says here, the kingdom doesn't come with observation, verse 20. Because, and actually, no, let me just, I might as well just bring you to, to Luke, Luke 19 as well. Luke 19 is that verse I just mentioned to you. And that's when he says here in, um, in verse 11, he, he was about to speak a parable to these people. And in verse 11, he says that um, as they heard these things, he added and spoke a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. In other words, notice the word appear, right? It didn't mean that the kingdom of God, that he didn't come to bring the kingdom of God. It's just that it wouldn't immediately appear. You know the word appear, right? It means like for you to see it, right? Manifestly. That it wouldn't be immediately visible, and this is the mistake, again, that, that Christians have made. Christians have thought that when they get to heaven one day, that there is going to be something that they get that they don't have now. And, and that's just, it's just simply not true. It's just simply not true. And you would have to contradict all the scriptures I just gave you about when is your access into heaven? When Jesus tore his body, that veil, making a way into it. Um, but it says that they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And that's where a lot of Christians are too. They think that, you know, if Jesus provided it, well, why don't I see it? And that's, again, because it comes within you, and it does appear, it does manifest. It does flow forth from your belly, but it just doesn't happen immediately. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, so let's get back to, to what I was saying before about Jesus, where he, he, that's why on the cross, he says, it is finished while simultaneously tearing that veil. And that means that the old things of the earth that Adam started are done now, and the new things have now come and, be, and they've been brought in. Um, let me bring you to, I have a few verses here to read you. Um, let's see where we should start here. Let's read in, I want to go to Romans 13, either now or at some point, and uh, John 11. Let's, let's start out a little easier here. Let, let's go to John 11 first. Let's go to John 11 first. John 11. Um, this is uh, the story about Lazarus, and Lazarus had died. And um, Jesus did not go initially when Lazarus first died. There were uh, mourners that came to um, Mary and Martha, it says, to, to console them, quote-unquote. And uh, Jesus did not go at first. He waited actually outside. The, he waited two days, and then he waited outside, outside the town. Um, but when he did go to Lazarus's funeral, he went to raise Lazarus up. But before that happened, while he was waiting outside the town, in verse, um, verse 20, John eleven twenty, it says, um, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then Martha... Um, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give you. And so Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And, and you know, when I read that, I almost like can hear people's um, impression of that. 
people do believe that that's something sort of, um, it's, it's uh, like when we say the word miracle in the church today, we kind of mean it like that's an uncommon thing, like that's an extraordinary thing. Uh, that doesn't happen all the time. God does want this to happen all the time, okay? Um, but as we said before, we have to believe these things in order to receive these things. But when she says, your brother shall rise again, this is not a localized miracle to Lazarus. This is something God wants to happen for, for everybody, okay? But, um, but anyway, let's keep reading. Verse 24, Martha said unto him, I know that he shall uh, rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And right there, that, that right there is where the church is at, right there, right there. Martha said, if you were to look, look at uh, verse 21 again, she says, I know that even now whatsoever you'll ask of God, God will give to you. So she, she recognizes that, you know what, Lord? Like, I believe you can. And a lot, of, a lot of people in the church are there, right? I believe God can heal. I believe God can raise the dead. I believe that God can, you know, make the hurt go away. He can help my emotions he could help my family if he wanted to, but in verse 24, ultimately, ultimately, when God does these things, you know, they're, they're localized miracles, and because, you know, we're always going to go through trouble in this life, God, sure, he could, and it just doesn't always happen that way. That's where the church is at right now. It doesn't always happen that way. Sure, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but it doesn't always happen that way. Um, you know, sure, there are, there are people that are healed in the Bible, but it's not always like that. Sure, there are some people that were prospered in the Bible, even financially, but, you know, it doesn't always happen that way because it's not for everybody, right? That, that's our idea of, it's not like we view these things as things that are provided by Jesus, of course. These are just things that God can do and sometimes does, and that's where Martha is. Ultimately, though, for the full receiving, where everything is fixed, we're, we're here pretty much, where Martha is, where Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And ultimately, whether it's when Jesus comes back or whether it's when I die and go to heaven one day, those are our, 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 our sort of reasons we give. Those are our, that's like the full destination. Um, uh, either when Jesus comes back, which is what Martha is saying here, I know, Jesus, when you come back, though, everything's going to be fixed then. Like, I know you can do it now, but I know this doesn't always happen, Jesus, for everybody, right? It's not like everybody can be raised from the dead. And I'm saying this as, as Martha is thinking here. I know that whatever you ask of God, he'll give you, even now, right? But that's, I know, sometimes a stretch, though. Um, ultimately, the ultimate receiving, Lord, is going to be when you come back on the last day and uh, everything's fixed then, right? That is the mentality of the church today. Again, that's why we have, that's why we say things, right? Like, I can only imagine when it comes to things of heaven. Because we, th there is in our mind some slice of the inheritance that is reserved for that day. Even people, I literally just heard a song, talking about Christian music, I literally just heard a song, accidentally, <laughs> mind you actually, but I heard a Christian song accidentally when I was actually making those playlists that we just announced before, and, um, and they, they, they started talking about heaven and how we, we have heaven now. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty good. And then the follow-up is, and I know that day, though, is going to be great, but like even now we can experience, so like he, they, he put it in a, in a way of, I know that like almost like the full receiving is going to be on that day, but, but even now we can experience those good things. That is not true. That is not true. Why is that not true? The number one reason that is not true is because Jesus is never going to pay another price again. I could bring you to it through a whole lot of other verses, right, to, to prove these things. We have the revealing series online as well, and I go through all that there. But um, the number one reason is that Jesus is never going to pay another price again to open heaven to you. And you're not going to get more of the kingdom of God when supposedly you die and go to heaven or when Jesus comes back. But nevertheless, we are right now where Martha is, where we say, I know in the last day. That's when everything's going to be fixed, Jesus. And he replies to her and corrects this mentality. He corrects that mentality. He doesn't agree with that mentality. He corrects the mentality. And when she says, I know that he shall, he shall, that's her reasoning, right? He shall, he will, future tense, Jesus, in verse 25, says unto her, I am. Currently, the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, Though he were dead, yet shall he live. And again, that is so spiritualized in the church today. 
we don't realize he's actually talking about physical death, evident from the fact that the, the, the setting here is a funeral of a person that he just uh, was about to raise from the dead physically. So he is talking about physical death there, physical death. Physical death came into the world through Adam, and that's what he's talking about here. But he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Present tense. Um, he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. We have enough uh, of a hard time choking on the fact that someone who's dead can live again. And then he goes on to say, but if you live and you believe in me, you'll never die. And that's also not talking about some kind of spiritual when you go to heaven one day thing. Um, man, again, Romans 8.10, God wants to give life to your mortal body. He wants your body to live, right? And that's what he's talking about here. Again, they're at a funeral discussing this. But my point here is that Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection the last day because there is a slice of the inheritance that Christians are still reserving for either heaven when they die or for when Jesus comes back. And again, Jesus is not going to pay another price. Um, the access was given when he died, not when you die. All right. Um, let, let's go to um, some other verses here to keep sort of substantiating this point. Uh, Romans 13, 11 is, a, is another one here. Um, the, um, the resurrection that Martha was referring to there, obviously, as she said, the resurrection on the last day, referring to when Jesus comes back. And um, people actually think that that's when the kingdom of God will, will, will come and sort of uh, be, be sort of provided in the last day. Um, but again, that's the only reason why people think that is because, again, they don't see it right now. And on, on that day, all through the earth, they will see it. So they assume that it's not here right now, and it will come despite the fact that um, what Jesus said was, you just won't see the kingdom of God when it comes, um, even though it is really here and living on the inside of us right now. Uh, Romans 13, 11 says, and that knowing the time, this is going to take a little bit more explanation here. It says that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer than when we believed. That's talking about um, when Jesus comes back again. Uh, verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. All right, so let's pause there for a second. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. What this is actually talking about is every, uh, for those of you guys that have come to church for a while, you know this. Every time Jesus um, sort of comes to the earth, it's called um, a day, right? So in the beginning, when God created all things through Jesus, that was called day one. Um, and then between there and Jesus' first coming when he went to die on the cross, that's called the night. Because Jesus being the light of the world, every time he comes, it's called the morning or the, or the day. When Jesus came, uh, when he went to die on the cross, he being the light of the world, actually it's in John 11, the chapter we were just reading, he refers to uh, him being the light of the world and coming into the earth. So that's like day two now, right? And then the time from Jesus' first coming 2,000 years ago to his second coming, the time we're living in right now is, still, is also called the night, the light of the world came, went back to heaven, and now it's the night. And when Jesus comes back again, it's also called the morning, again. Uh, that's called when the morning star um, rises and dawns in our hearts, okay, the way that Peter talks about. So, you, so when he says here that the night is far spent, he's referring to the current age that we live in right now. And by the night being far spent, he's talking about that basically we're, we're pretty close to the morning. He's saying there, we're pretty close to Jesus' second coming. The night has been, has been far spent, is actually what he's talking about. Um, he was anticipating the second coming of Christ by saying that. Now, so the night is far spent. That's the age we're in. The day is at hand. It's clearly there referring to Jesus' second coming. The day is at hand, meaning the day is near. The morning is near. And it says, Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly or, or decently, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. So let, let me give a, a little more explaining. So it is true, as I just said, that the day is referring to sort of like each one of the comings of Christ, interactions with the earth, and the time in between is the night, right? Um, now, that being said, the word day 
is sort of um, a related word to the word light. It means like a time, this is probably less applicable to what we're talking about, but this is just extra. The word day is, is, is a word that means like a time of, of, of visibility, a time of like understanding, you can say, okay? So uh, Jesus being the light of the world and the source of all wisdom and revelation, when he comes into the world, it's called, again, the morning, and it's referring to a time of understanding. Again, that's kind of extra. But look at what he says here. To, make, to simplify this, the day we know is referring to Jesus' second coming here when he said the day is at hand. And yet he says in verse 13, let us walk honestly or decently as in the day. I'm going to bring you to one more scripture to substantiate this, but what he's literally saying is that the day has not come yet. The, 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 the next age in which the world is recreated and all that that will happen on that day, that sort of last day that Martha was referring to, has not come yet. And yet he says, let us walk as in the day. I'd never really seen this before, but when he says, let us walk as in the day, he's literally saying, let us walk as those who are not of the earth, but those that are of the next age, those that are of a new world. Let me bring you to one more passage to substantiate this, but... If the day is referring to when Jesus comes back, he says, let us walk like people that are of the day. Despite the fact that it's night right now, he's saying that we have access to the things of the new earth, the, the heavenly things of the new earth right now, and God intends us for us to walk in these things right now. So let me give you another piece of information which may be helpful, that um, when we talk about having access into heaven, you know, obviously that's true. I've been teaching on this up until right now, but also... There is a day when the whole earth gets recreated, right? Um, after Jesus comes back. The whole earth will be recreated, and that's where people see, you know, uh, in the book of Revelation, that there's no more hurt, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, none of that, right? Um, I have a series called The Revealing, which explains more of this. But he, when he says the day is at hand, he's referring to that day of that new created earth, new created, where the kingdom of God uh, uh, is pervasive all through the earth. And he's saying, let us walk as those that are of that. When he says those that are of the day, he's referring to the next age. And, and look, look at what it says here. So to, to bring this home too, Martha was telling Jesus, oh yeah, I can't receive that now. On the last day, I'll receive it. And Jesus saying, no, you can receive that now. The things of the next age, the things that are of heaven, those things you can receive right now. I'm here right now to provide these things right now. I'm here to tear the veil and give you access into those heavenly things right now. You don't have to wait for when I come back the second time. I'm here to pay the price right now. And what she thought she had to wait for for future tense, Jesus was saying, no, we can walk in that life right now. We can walk in that no hurt right now. And actually what he's talking about in, in Romans 13 is saying, the day is at hand when all the earth will be recreated, but let's walk now as those that are of the day, as those that are of that next earth, that next age, that when all of heaven comes to the earth, the planet itself, we already have those things, the kingdom of God on the inside of us. It's true, the kingdom of God will be all over the earth, will be per pervasive through the earth when Jesus comes back. But the, that same kingdom is inside of us right now. And that's why he's saying that we can walk as people that are of that age, of that day. And we don't have to be conformed to the way the world operates right now, but we can walk currently in the things of that next age. And what you saw at Lazarus' tomb was what? It's not normal for this age for people to be raised from the dead. But Jesus was walking as, those, as someone who is of the day. He raised someone from the dead. In this earth, that doesn't happen. In this earth, in the night, uh, people don't get raised from the dead. People die, but people don't get raised from the dead. But, and so Martha thought that she had to uh, 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 um, wait for the next age to receive that. And Jesus saying, no, we can walk in those things right now. And that's what he's talking about in Romans 13 as well. He's saying that... Um, Sure, the day is at hand. It's near. That age, that next age when the earth is recreated is, is at hand. It's near. But let us walk, referring to now, as those that are of the day. And so let, let, let's keep reading. 1 Thessalonians 5. Um, and we can read in verse um, 1. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1. It says... But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Um, this is going to be further confirmation that what I was just saying before, that the day is referring to the second coming of Christ. Uh, verse 2, 
for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. You've heard that term probably before, right? As a thief in the night. The reason why it's called a thief in the night is because this current age is called the night. When Jesus comes to literally, like you could say, for, for lack of a better term, maybe rob us to steal us away from this earth in, 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 the, in his second coming, he comes as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord comes the thief in the night. That, that's what he's, re, he's referring to here. He's saying that Jesus will come to an age in which we live in right now called the night, and he will bring the day, right? But in verse 3, it says, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them and travail upon, as travail upon a woman in chi with child, and they shall not escape. Again, referring to his second coming. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Now, you have to understand the, the full impact of what he's saying here. He's saying that you live in an age called the night that he's calling. There's so much more detail I could give here, but I'm just trying to keep this simple for this particular message. But you're living in an age called the night. The day of the Lord, Jesus' second coming, has not come yet, right? And yet he's saying, you are not of the night. You are not of this present world, nor of darkness, but you are of the day. In context, in its simplest form right now, he's, when he says you are of the day, you are children of the light and children of the day, he, what, what, is, what is this day he's referring to? He just got done saying, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, meaning... Jesus' second coming. When he says you're of the day, he's literally saying that you're of a different age. You are, you, the Bible actually calls us the first of God's new creation. Despite the fact that the, the world will be recreated on, on, on that day when Jesus comes back, the Bible in, in James chapter 1 calls us, we're the first fruits. That means that we're already new creations. We're already not of this, of this age. And, and soon enough, all of the earth will reflect that as well, but we already have this kingdom on the inside of us that will be reflected in creation on that day. So what he's literally saying is, despite the fact that the day has not come, that age has not come and it hasn't spread through all the earth, we can walk in these things and should walk in these things right now. We are of the day. We're not of this present earth. We've been given access to something new. Um, so let's keep reading. He says, um, you are all the children of the light and children of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those that sleep, sleep in the night, and those that are drunk are drunk in the night, but let us who are of the day, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And he goes on from there, but he said that we are of the day. You know what that means? That means you are not of this earth anymore. You are of a different age. And this is what Jesus paid for. Remember, I started this message out saying that Jesus came to do what? finish the things of the present earth, and give you access into something new. And that has already occurred, which is why he's saying right now that despite the fact that you live in an earth, which he's calling night here, this present age, despite the fact that you live in this, you don't have to walk according to it. You don't have to walk, and that's not just talking about morally, that you don't have to do the immoral things that other people do. You don't have to interact or experience anything the way the world does anymore. You're no longer of this particular age. Jesus, remember, when he died, said, it is finished, referring to everything that Adam started and all the problems of this world. Jesus overcame the world for us so that we could be brought out of this world and we could be brought into, you could say, another, the things of heaven. Or you could say the things of heaven or the things of new earth. Uh, either one applies because, again, the new earth after Jesus comes back is just heaven on earth. So, so regardless of how you want to put it, here he's specifically referring to the things of that next age, and he's saying... Despite the fact that we live in this current one, we're not of this current one. Jesus finished these things so that we could come out of these things. Not just the immorality of this world, even though that applies as well, but the sin and the death of this world. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1 that we have escaped the corruption. That's referring to the death and the hurt and the pain. We have escaped the corruption that's in this world through lust. That Instead of sin and death, he says corruption and lust. And we have escaped the things of this present world. Why? Because Jesus said it is finished. We've escaped the things of the present world. We have access already 2,000 years ago to the things of another world, the things of that heavenly country. We're now strangers to this present earth. And he said, what Paul's point is here is that 
right now, despite the fact that you live in this age, you live in this earth, you don't have to walk as people, quote unquote, of the night, of this present age. Um, you don't have to, it's not as if we are sort of of the present earth and we're looking forward and just waiting for the next age, we're, like Martha was. Martha was in the present earth and thought she had to live just like everybody else. She thought if somebody dies, they die. That's how people in the world live. And that's where she was. That's what she thought. She thought, I have to live like the world lives for now, although sometimes I get little special you know, privileges from God here and there. But I have to live like the world now, experience trouble like the world does now. And if someone dies, they die. And you know, every now and then God does a miracle. But essentially, I'm waiting for the day, right? I'm waiting for that next age. I'm waiting for Jesus to come back and fix everything. Paul says here that despite the fact that the day, in other words, Jesus' second coming has not come yet, and the recreation of the earth has not come yet, he says we can walk as children of that day. People that are already born of that kingdom. The earth will be reborn, you could say, after Jesus comes back, but we're already reborn and already made a new creation ourselves, and we can walk as children of that next age. Um, Again, despite the fact that it hasn't come to all the earth, it has come to us already. That kingdom has already been given to us. Um, and Paul is just saying that we can walk that way. Um, let's, um, let's see here. Yeah, you, let, let me, before we even move on, let me just point something out to you too. So look at verse, where were we? Seven or eight? Eight. Look at this here. We already know the day is talking about Jesus' second coming. It says, let us who are of the day of that next age. Let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Um, he, he, even before in uh, Romans 13, uh, 13, chapter 13 and verse 13, he talks about walking, that we should walk. You could throw that up there again behind me. He says, let us walk as in the day. And he gives a few examples. He says, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chambering, which is like old English for sleeping around, basically. That's, that's what that means, chambering. Uh, not in chambering and wantonness and lust, uh, not in strife and envying. And so here's the funny thing with, with Christians. And uh, once I point it out, you'll recognize this, that he just named a bunch of qualities, which no Christian would disagree with, right? Okay, you know, I, I agree with that, that that's how we should walk, right? Uh, Christians agree that God doesn't want us to walk in rioting and drunkenness or sleeping around in, in unbridled lust or strife and envying, and these things are not of God, we shouldn't have to walk like those things. But those are things of this current age, right? That's how this age works, right? Um, you know, all these, all these you know, qualities that God doesn't agree with, those are things of the current age. Now, propriety and morality in all of this stuff that he's, at, at, that he's advising here are qualities of the next age, actually. Sin is a quality of the current age. Sin came into this present world through Adam. When someone lives righteously, which, you know, people would, uh, anyone in the church would advocate. When people live righteously and live soberly, um, that's not a quality of the current age. That's a quality of the next age. That's a quality of heaven. But the funny thing is, we're more okay with, with um, telling people, no, we can walk righteously on this earth. If I were to ask any Christians, can, can you walk righteously by the power of God on this earth, walking morally, being a good example? People, everyone would agree with that. But then if I say, can, can people receive resurrection from the dead? Uh, can, can they receive life to their bodies so that they never die? Can they receive no more hurt and no more pain? A lot of Christians would not agree that, that you can receive that in totality or at all. So it's funny. They will agree that you can receive certain next age qualities, right? Certain new earth qualities, certain heavenly qualities when it comes to godliness and morality but they don't agree that you can receive certain qualities from the Lord when it comes to life and when it comes to resurrection and things of that nature. Um, I don't know 100% what that is. I think it's because these things seem maybe more achievable to them. But both life and godliness are not things of this current age. They're things of the next age. They're things of heaven, things of the kingdom of God. And the same way that we believe, we believe this as the church already, the same way that we already believe that um, despite the fact that we live in an age of immorality, we live in an age in which people are bound to sin. We believe that we've been given the power of God, the righteousness of God, and we don't have to live that way and be conformed to this world in that way regarding morality. Every Christian already agrees with that. I'd be willing to bet. Where it gets dicey with people is 
is when it comes to life, when it comes to resurrection, other qualities regarding things for our bodies and hurt and pain and things of that nature, Christians are less likely to believe that you can walk in the things of the next age or the things of heaven when it regards those things. Those things seem a little bit more out of their reach to them. But both are out of your reach. You can't live righteously by your, you can't anymore produce a good deed in your life than you could raise the dead. Both are, we think we do a lot of good things sometimes of ourselves, but there's no one that does good, no, not one apart from the Lord. God, Jesus had to provide you both life and godliness to replace your sin and your death. Both are equally out of our reach, and more of the church have, they have less of a problem with the godliness aspect, despite the fact that godliness is not of this age. Godliness is of the next age. Godliness is of heaven. Sin is of this age. And to, basically, every time you tell someone that you can live righteously as a believer in this present age, you're telling them you can live like heaven on earth in regards to godliness. But when it comes to, again, hurt and pain or raising the dead or things like that, again, we, we kind of choke on that more and we have, less of a problem, uh, we have more of a problem with that. But both life and godliness have been provided through Jesus. Um, where was I here? So let's, um, I just have a few minutes left. So let, let's kind of look at that closing up here soon. Um, let's see. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.11, I believe. 1 Peter 2.11. 1 Peter 2.11. Um, and even before I go there, I'll just mention to you too, when the Bible says to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, you know why you don't have to live like this world? is because, again, Jesus redeemed you from it. Even Galatians 1.4 said that Jesus gave himself for our sins to redeem us from this present evil age. That means that all the things of this age, you don't have to be conformed to those things. The funny thing is, though, Again, as I said before, you know what? Scratch that, that, that verse there. Can you bring us to 2 Peter 1? But um, it's just funny because when it comes to, and I'm sure you've heard that verse said before, right? That don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We only ever apply that to morality. Like, don't do the sin of the world. You don't have to experience the sin of the world. Don't be conformed to their sin, but be changed and transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the things that are in the world, we know, right? It wasn't just sin that came into the world through Adam, right? It was sin and death. And God is saying, in your experience, you don't have to be conformed. Your life does not have to go the way that it goes for the world. Just because the world dies doesn't mean you have to. Just because the world gets sick doesn't mean you have to. Just because the world, you know, doesn't get healed supernaturally doesn't mean that you don't have to. You see, don't... When you renew your mind, you'll stop being conformed to the world and you're going to be changed. And why is it that we don't have to be conformed to the way that this world experiences situations? Because we've been redeemed from it. That's why Jesus, that's what he meant when he said it's finished. That was our redemption from the things of Adam and the things of this world. And again, given access into the things of heaven, into the things of that new age. Um, let me get there myself. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And verse, um, let's see. Yeah, this would be verse 2, I think. Yeah, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's why things don't appear immediately in our life, because they're multiplied to us in the knowledge of God. That's why, despite the kingdom having come, but you don't see it pervasive through the earth all the time, and that's because we, we need to grow in our knowledge before these things are multiplied to us and manifested through us. But watch this, though. Despite the fact that that's true, verse 3, according as his divine power, not his earthly power, but his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us by glory and virtue. What has God given us? All things that pertain to life and godliness. Pastor Jose just um, sent a letter out regarding this verse just uh, a few days ago. He has already given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. You know what that means? That means he's already given you all things that pertain to heaven, all things that pertain to the things of the next age, and you can walk in these things because he's already given you things that pertain to life and godliness. And if you say, well, th that couldn't, that's not talking about all the things of heaven, but watch, let's keep reading in verse 4. Whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Man, again, there's so much I could explain with that, but 
Notice how he says that there are two things in the world. There's corruption that's in the world through lust. Corruption and lust. He's using just those two different words for where Paul would talk, talk about sin and death. Uh, instead of sin, he says lust. Instead of death, he says corruption here. But he, so he's saying the same thing Paul said in, in Romans chapter 5. He's saying those are the only two problems in the world. Corruption, which is that process of death, that degradation of a human body. That and also, he says lust here, where Paul would say sin. But he's talking about the same thing. Lust, he's just talking about that internal sin in a person. And so he's saying there are two problems in the world. Then he's saying that through Jesus, you have escaped that corruption that is in the world through lust. You see, it's not just sin that's in the world. It's not just lust that's in the world, but it's also death and corruption in the world as well, right? And so when the Bible says that you don't have to be conformed to this world, it's not just referring to morality. It's saying that you don't have to live like this world lives anymore. You're not subject to um, the, the laws of sin and death in this world. You're not subject to experience things the way that people experience them. But the thing is, you have to renew your mind to these things first. Because you're, you'll keep experiencing the problems of this world until you start getting your mind renewed, though. It's not an automatic thing. So don't assume that just because you experience a problem means that, you know, that you're not redeemed from the world. No, if you experience a problem, you can know, I don't have to, though. I don't have to be conformed to this experience of the world because I can renew my mind and have my experience transformed as I, as I understand. But you'll see here, we've escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust, and that's why in verse 3, he says, He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Those are the two opposites of what's in the world. You see, this is how you know you're, you're not of the world at all. Not just in regards to godliness, which we're okay with that part more in the church. If I were teaching this message about not being conformed to this world or being redeemed from the things of this world and only applied this to godliness, more people would agree with it. Um, but it's, it, it, it's not that God has just given us godliness instead of the sin in this world. God has also given us life, that's for our bodies. Romans 8, 10, and 11 say that that life is for our bodies. God has also given us life to replace the death and corruption in this world. And as Pastor Zay was mentioning even recently, the only things God has given you, notice, is life and godliness. God, God will never give you death. God will never cause some kind of corruption or weakness or degradation or hurt or pain in you ever. He's only given you the things that pertain to life and godliness, never death or corruption. And this is actually what it means, and I'm, we'll close up here. This is what it means when the Bible calls us strangers um, to this world. You, I'm, I may not read this, but you can just throw up 1 Peter 2.11 now behind me. But this is when the Bible calls us strangers or pilgrims in this world. Pilgrim just means like, a, like an alien, a foreigner. That's why we're called strangers to this world. But you see, what, what use is it really as the church to call ourselves strangers to this world if we believe that as a whole, we're pretty much destined to live and experience trouble like the world does until, you know, until one day. One day when Jesus comes back, then I'll be able to you know, uh, have this freedom or I'll have access into these things and everything will be better then. And for now, basically what we're saying is I pretty much have to experience things like the world does. And despite the fact that we, we have somewhat of a handle on godliness, that we, we have godliness instead of sin, there's a lot of people that believe that, um, like Martha did, regarding the resurrection of the dead, that she couldn't receive that now. She's got to wait for some other day. But the Bible says that now, because the world has corruption and lust in it, and we've been given the opposite, we've been given life and godliness, the Bible says that we're strangers to this world. So, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Strangers and pilgrims, he's applying this to the fleshly lusts, right? You see that, that application? But what's also in the world? There's also corruption in the world. And so we're strangers to the both of those things. But I, as I said before, what's the use of calling ourselves strangers to the earth if all the death and trouble in this world, if most believers think that that's sort of just normal for us? Then we're really not strangers to it then, right? If you really have to experience things pretty much just like you know, your, your peers, if you have to go through the same thing as the world when it comes to the trouble in it, if people see trouble as something like, well, it's just sort of an inevitable thing. Everybody goes through problems, and, you know, God will just sort of help us through it, but we have to go through these things. Then we're not really strange to the death and the trouble and the corruption in this world then. But truthfully said, uh, as we just read before, um, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Those are the things of heaven, the things of the next age, and, and, um, and redeemed us. We have already escaped from the things of the world. Um, 
It's just that that kingdom is on the inside of us, and we have to release that. Um, so, all right. You know, let me um, just make sure there was nothing else that I wanted to share with you. And uh, if not, because we're up on time right now, then, uh, then we'll be good there. Um, yeah, I think, I think we're good there. Um, Hebrews 11 says the same thing. I, I won't read it to you, but Hebrews 11 basically just says the same thing. calls Abraham sort of um, a stranger to the things of this earth. And it talks about different men of God in Hebrews 11 that were strange to these things. But I, as I said, I won't, I won't read that to you right now. Um, God has a different plan and a different destiny for you than the way that people live in this world. And God does not want you to have to live like them. We are of the next age. That's why we can walk as people of the day. We can walk as people that are not of this age, not just regarding godliness, but regarding life and his power um, to, for our bodies. We can walk separate from this world entirely. But in order to do that, though, despite the fact that we have all these things, we have to start thinking separate, though. You're not going to see this separation in your life until you start thinking that way and recognizing that God really has, through Jesus, finished all the things of this earth, redeemed you completely from it, and now given you the things of his kingdom and put that on the inside of you. We have to start thinking that way first. Once you think that way, once you renew your mind to these things, then you'll notice on the outside that your experiences stop being conformed to this world and start being changed. You start seeing heaven on earth in your experience. But again, think it first, and then these things are manifest, right? We hope you enjoyed this message from Reform Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this uncommon truth out to the world. If you'd like to support this good news, you can do so at reformchurch.com give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reformchurch.com.